you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about Nehemiah. Tonight's going to be very, very different than normal nights. Uh, I have eight points. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, <clears throat> what we've been doing is a sermon series titled The 7%. Can anybody tell me how many college students are in the Memphis metro area? Right here, 47,000. <laughs> Boom, we got it quick, too. There's 47,000, roughly, 671 college students, Lindsay, in the Memphis metro area. And the reason why The View exists is to reach all 47,000 of those college students for Jesus. Uh, not for The View's sake, not for Bellevue's sake, not for my sake, not for your sake, but for the sake that people will come to know Jesus. Because when you truly know Jesus, you want others to know Jesus too, amen? I'll tell you what, amen. And 47,000 makes up 7% of Memphis's population. And what we've been doing in this series is, instead of jumping around different topics and stuff like that, no shame in that, but uh, what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. And looking at what Nehemiah did for Jerusalem and asking the question, how does Nehemiah's heart for Jerusalem and his people mirror our heart for Memphis? You don't have to drive very far to see that there's brokenness in Memphis, Tennessee. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time on your college campus to realize that your college campus is lost and does not know Jesus. And when you go to your workplace, wherever you work, I don't know where that may be. Wherever you work, you don't have to spend much time there to realize there's brokenness there. There's broken families. There's broken marriages. There's hurt. There's pain. There's loneliness. In fact, did you know that 18 to 22-year-olds are the loneliest generation in America? You? 18 to 22-year-olds. What's crazy is the generation that's the most connected than ever before is the loneliest than ever before. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can reach the 7% is to have the power of God behind us as we go and try to reach them. And so Nehemiah had the power of God behind him. And I want to give you a quick recap on what's happened so far. Now, very briefly here, Nehemiah gets this call from God, a burden. He's in Susa, Persia, has a great setup, right hand to the king. And God starts impressing on his heart to go back to Jerusalem where there are no walls. God is not being glorified. God's being mocked. It makes no sense from a career standpoint to leave Persia and go to Jerusalem. He's in a great city with a lot of trade, can make a career out of himself, has a great positioning with the king. Doesn't make any sense. But God starts stirring his heart to go reach people who need the Lord. And I want to tell you something. God may call you to a career decision that does not make sense on paper. I want to tell you something. You can either follow what makes sense on paper or you can follow God's word. One place will lead you on a rabbit trail. The other place will lead you to God's will for your life. And so Nehemiah goes. He prays for four months. He lets God shape his heart. You'll remember this. And he goes to Jerusalem. Now for the last two weeks, me and Dakota, what we've talked about is we talked about discouragement. And we talked about last week, opposition. When people are coming against us. Listen, as we try to live out our Christian faith, there's going to be opposition. People are not going to be happy about it. People are going to be upset. And with that comes discouragement. What Nehemiah did last week, he told those people, he said, Sanballat and Tobiah, he said, guys, I cannot stop the work I'm doing to come down and waste time with you. And we agreed that as college students, we can't stop the work that God is doing for anybody who would want to waste our time. We have to continue to live for God. Well, tonight we come to a pivotal chapter, and here's my title. It's all about God's word tonight. My title, if you're taking notes, would love for you to write this down. When broken people turn to the Bible. This will not be on the screen tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. The title tonight is When Broken People Turn to the Bible. I read a play I read about a play a few years ago that happened in Moscow a long time ago. It was a play. Uh, you probably won't be familiar with it. Some of you may know. It was a play called Christ in a Tuxedo. 
and it was in Moscow. And I read about this play. I wrote some of the notes down about it. It was a play that was mocking and making fun of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that our culture loves to make fun of Jesus Christ? The most you hear Jesus' name is being taken in vain. You will hear his name taken in vain everywhere you go. And this play was to make fun of Jesus. The star of the play was named Alexander Rostovez. And he was playing the role of Jesus Christ, Caleb, in this play. And uh, his role was to do this. I want you to really catch this. This is a crazy story. His role was to walk out on stage in a robe and begin reading the first two verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And then, after Haley, he read those two verses on the Sermon on the Mount, what he was going to do is, is rip his robe off, yell out, give me my tuxedo and my top hat, and the crowd would go crazy laughing. Right? That was the goal of what he was supposed to do. Now watch this. His time comes. Curtains draw, and he walks out on stage. Alexander does. Uh, he walks out there, and in front of the sold-out crowd, he begins reading. He has his Bible in his hand. He begins reading from the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he reads. He reads Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He reads two verses, and he stops. He stops reading. In this moment, in the story, it says that he was trembling and shaking as he read those two verses. Silence filled the crowd because nobody knew what was going on. And then he keeps going and reads the entire Sermon on the Mount. Everybody is watching in awe as he reads the entire Sermon on the Mount. Once he finishes, Alexander, don't miss this, Alexander is so broken over what he has just read that in his heart, and in this moment, he cries out the only verse he could remember from his childhood. You know what it is? It won't be on the screen, but it's one of the most pivotal verses in the Gospels. In this moment, he cries out, Luke 23, verse 42, he quotes the thief on the cross. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I love this story because in this moment, what Alexander does is he surrenders his life to Jesus Christ while on stage trying to mock Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is he walked out on that stage to stand against God's word, but when he actually read it, it shook him so much to the core that he flipped to standing for God's word. That's the power God's word has. I want to tell you, God's, God's word has power. God's word can change your heart in an instant. Alexander's entire life changed when he started to actually read the word of God. Now I want to ask you a question. We live in a generation that is very biblically illiterate. Do you actually know what the Bible says? I'm not being mean to you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not picking on you. I'm asking myself the same question. But do you actually know what the Bible says? Because a lot of us make a whole lot of assumptions. We make a whole lot of assumptions about the Bible, John, but we don't really know what it says. And that's a dangerous place to be. What's going to happen in Nehemiah chapter 8 tonight is they're going to read the word of God for six hours straight. <laughs> they read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, written by Moses, highly likely written by Moses. They're going to read it for six hours straight, and the entire nation is going to have a radical change. What's so crazy is you think about Alexander Rostovez on that stage and how he was so broken by reading Sermon on the Mount. They went through six hours of reading God's word. And it radically changes their entire view of God himself. And tonight, we're going to read a whole lot of scripture. We're going to read large passages of scripture. And I want to tell you, if this is your first time, praise God. 
you came on an incredible night because you are going to hear a lot of verses from the Word of God. A lot. We believe in the Word of God. We stand on its authority. We believe it's not. It doesn't just contain truth. God's Word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so let's look at Nehemiah 8. You want to talk about revival? It happens because of this right here. Not, not a great speaker. Not because of Ezra and Nehemiah. But because of what they were reading, it was the word of God. I can get up here and prance around all day and tell cute stories. That's not going to change anybody's life. What's going to change your life is the word of God. And so let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8. Now we're going to walk through this verse by verse and pick it apart. Starting in verse 1. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns... All the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. Now we're going to stop right there. Let me give you the first thing. Number one, God's word calls for community. Thank you. Whoever said amen, hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. These are eight truths tonight. You can amen them if you want to, but you don't have to. Amen. God's word calls for community. (laughs) Amen. God's word calls for community. What we see first here that happened is that they gather together. They come together. There is a gathering that happens here in Nehemiah chapter 8. I want you to understand something. Why do Mondays matter? It's cute. Sounds good. It's a hashtag. Why do Mondays matter? Why do Sundays matter? Josh, why does coming to a church on Sunday mornings to worship with the body of Christ matter? What does it really matter to be involved in church? I hear a lot of college students tell me all the time, Daniel, I love prayer, man. I love God's word, but that church thing ain't for me. (laughs) Listen, I want to tell you, you cannot love prayer and love God's word and hate God's church. You can't do it. You can't do it. God will break you over that sin. And some of us are so opposed to the church because we've been hurt by it. I get that. I understand that. And I sympathize with you. But I want to ask you, when you were hurt by the church and decided to turn from the church, was your faith in Jesus or was your faith in the church? That's a tough thing. I know. That's a tough thing. I know it's sensitive. I know it's sensitive, but I've been there myself. See, a lot of us get hurt by the church, and we don't want to be a part of it no more because our faith was in the church. It wasn't truly in the Lord. See, right here, they gather together, they come together, and the reason why is because community matters. Being together matters. Coming together matters. Worshiping on Sundays matter. Worshiping on Monday nights matter. It's important. Coming together and worshiping with other believers matters. You cannot do the Christian life alone. You can't do it. You will struggle. You will fall. You will not be able to overcome the temptations in your life because there's no accountability and there's nobody pushing you forward. And I love this because we see it also in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, that says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's stay right there for a minute. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more you see the day approaching. So understand this, the author of Hebrews is not playing around. He says that there are some, in fact, there are probably many, that neglect gathering together with God's people. That's why on average, people come to church 1.7 times a month. Did you know that? On average, people come to worship 1.7 times a month. You can check that stat. It might be outdated a couple years. 1.7 times. So you can't even say that the average believer comes two times to gather with fellow believers to worship. 
And the reason why is because we don't get what they started to get in Nehemiah 8. We don't get why it's important to come together and worship as the body of believers. We just don't value it, and we just don't understand what the worth of it is. And in college students' lives, you're going to be tempted. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people who say, man, I just don't come to church on Sundays because I can't wake up on time. I get it. I was there. Why couldn't you wake up on time? Oh, man, I was up to 3 a.m. on Saturday night. <laughs> like, man, listen, I don't have to be a rocket scientist or a master of your calendar <laughs> to figure out what the problem is. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with students who come to The View once or twice a month, and that's it. And look, I'm not here to get you to be here every single Monday so I can say, man, I'm so glad they're here every Monday. Look at this, look at this seat filled. I don't care about the numbers. But there's people who miss the view, who miss their life group, who miss their church service, whether you're a member of Bellevue or not, who miss their home church worship service when anything else comes up because we don't really value it. We don't really value it. And I'll tell you, Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. If you're taking notes, I want to give you those two. I want you to write these verses down. Just the reference. First one was Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. The second one is Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. I love it because God's presence is promised to those who gather in his name that they will sense that God is with them. They will be aware that God is with them in his name. In his name. But let me warn you. Just because you have a Christian community does not mean it is a godly community. Mm, I learned that the hard way. When I first came to The View, I thought that everybody was going to be perfect. And I had a rude awakening. <laughs> I realized that everybody is not perfect. In fact, they're far from it. And then I also realized, you know what, i got to look in the mirror because I'm far from perfect too. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I get it. But at the same time, what you have to do is you have to look at your community of believers and ask, are they really on fire for Jesus Christ? Because who you are, are, who you are around is radically going to affect who you become over the next 10 years. Show me your friends. I'll show you who you will look like in 10 years. Those people are going to either push you to Jesus or pull you from Jesus. And again, don't look at your friends before you look at you. Are you truly pushing people to Jesus or are you pushing them to the world? You got to look in the mirror first before you look at your friend group. But gathering together matters. It's important. And when people come in here, it matters that they sense love from us, true, authentic love, not fake love, not hypocrisy, no divisions. I love that God, that Paul in 1 Corinthians calls the believers to have no divisions. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. That you be one. And then I love Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against you, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also too can forgive. Can I ask you a question, Decope? If Christ has forgiven you, is there anybody you can't forgive? Has anybody in your life wronged you as much as you and I have wronged Jesus Christ through our sin? Has it happened? Because Jesus, as he was being nailed to a tree and crucified for the sins of the world, he prayed for the Father to forgive those who were crucifying him. Tell me, who can you not forgive in your life? Is it your mom? Is it your dad? And I don't know for conscience, that's tense. Some of us get out like, away from home, get some freedom, get mad at mom and dad over things, hold bitterness in our heart. Listen, for anybody in here who's holding on to unforgiveness, let me tell you something. 
the longer you hold on to unforgiveness, you're holding on to the blade of a knife. And the tighter you squeeze, the more it's going to cut you. It's cutting you. When you give it to God, when you forgive, you let go of that knife and it stops cutting you. But as long as you hold on to unforgiveness, you're going to continue to cut yourself and hurt yourself. They gather together in his name. And crazy stuff is about to happen for these Israelites. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. The early church, you want to talk about what it looks like to really live out your faith. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let's stay right here for a minute. Devoted. I love the word devoted. When I was playing basketball, man, I was a sorry player. (laughs) I wasn't great. I was okay. I could shoot, of course. (laughs) Coach would say, hey, go stand in the corner. (laughs) And I run down there, and I just stand in the corner waiting. (laughs) You know how it is. I just wait, waiting for my chance. Sometimes it would go in. I feel like the man, (sighs) knock down that shot. What coach always asks of us is that you got to be 100% devoted to the team. you got to be 100% all in. I love it. Middle school, high school basketball. They say, you can't be on this team if you are not 100% in. you got to be all in. And you know what this look right here looks like? Number one, they're all in for the calling of God. But number two, they're all in for each other. Because they're devoted to the teaching, which means they don't just hear God's word teach. They're going and they're applying it. They're devoted to fellowship. They say, hey, it's important for us to come together and worship together and encourage each other and push each other towards Jesus. It's important to fellowship. It's important to laugh. It's important to joke in a way that's honoring to God, not jokes that don't bring honor to God. For some of us, the biggest thing we won't let go of is sinful, sarcastic jokes. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to the breaking of bread. Man, don't you love going to cookout afterwards? Amen? I'll tell you what, Sonic's better than Cookout. I ain't going to get into a debate tonight about it. I'm not doing it tonight. I've said it, Zach. It's out there. I've said it. I'm not going, I'm not, yeah, amen. The the remnant is supporting it. But don't you love breaking the bread and in prayer? Guys, let me tell you something. The Christian, the believer who does not have prayer The believer that does not talk to God cannot go out into the world and talk for God. If I'm not talking with God, I can't come up here and preach and talk for God. And some of us want to do a whole lot of talking for God, but we ain't talking with God. Prayer is the power. They're devoted to prayer. Look at what else happens in Acts chapter 2. I love it. I'm on point number one. We're going to have to cover these a lot quicker, guys. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. I'll tell you what, it don't take big lights. It don't take incredible things to put people at awe. It takes the presence of God in a Christ-like community. Everybody was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. Not just that, but look at Nehemiah chapter 8. Again, moving quickly here. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law to the Israel. On the first day, this is verse 2, on the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all, say all with me, all who could listen with understanding. Number two, God's word is for all people. Amen. God's word is for all people. When Jesus, I preached on this yesterday morning, when Jesus said, come to me all who are thirsty, he did not say, come to me all who are thirsty and have a 4.0 GPA in college. (laughs) And aren't you glad he didn't? Because I wouldn't be getting living water. (laughs) Okay, I'd be far from it. 
Far from it. If you had a, a 32 on the ACT, come to me and get living water. Nope. He didn't say, hey, based on your skin color, come to me and receive living water. Nope. He didn't say, hey, if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're middle class, come to me. All the rich come to me. Nope. Hey, just the poor come to me. Nope. Hey, Jesus says, come to me all who are thirsty. Right here in Nehemiah 8, they open the word and they teach it to anybody, man, woman, child, doesn't matter the skin color, doesn't matter the background. Whoever wants the word of God can receive the word of God. I want to say something. Racism is a sin. Should be a big amen behind that. Racism is a sin. To look down on somebody because of the color of their skin, doesn't matter what, what shade you are, <laughs> to look down on somebody because of the color of their skin is racism and it's a sin. It is. And that's why I love preaching through a book because you don't have to force it. All people who want to hear God's word and apply God's word, God has opened it up to them. To look down on somebody because you have money and they don't, that's a sin. We're not even at James 2 yet, but I'm going to go ahead and give you this right here, what Jesus said. John 13, just wait for J James 2, I love it. John 13, verse 34. I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Acts 10, verse 34 to 35. Now this is Peter speaking. And don't forget, Peter had his fair share of mistakes in his life. He denied Jesus three times. He had to be called out by Paul because he wasn't acting right. Peter had his fair share of mistakes. And look at what he says here. He says, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. <laughs> but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't show favoritism? <laughs> Aren't you glad he doesn't love the poor more than he loves the rich, and he doesn't love the rich more than he loves the poor, and he doesn't love somebody because of their skin color more than the other person because of their skin color? But I'll tell you something. We as believers don't always act like God does. We categorize people. We often, if I can be real with you, we place people on a scale in our lives of how much they can do for us. And the ones who can do more for us, we tend to spend more time with them. Oh, yeah. Woo, and I love it, man. James chapter 2, buckle up because we're going to be here for 13 verses. James 2, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if a person comes into your meeting place wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes... And a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Let's pause. Man, this is going to be tough to get through this sermon. To come into a place like this and see somebody that doesn't look outspoken, that looks quiet, that doesn't look popular, and to not go talk to them and welcome them, but to go to somebody who does look popular, who looks like an influencer, who might be on a sports team or whatever else you want to call it that looks popular, and you go to them and show them the love of Christ, but not the person who looks quiet, that is favoritism and that is sin. When I walked in this place, man, you wouldn't have noticed me because I was so quiet and unpopular. I would have been sitting right back there on the wall, quiet, not saying a word to anybody. That would have been me. I would not have been the loud one. I would not have been the noticeable one. Wouldn't have had the good clothes. All my clothes were baggy. I didn't know how to dress. <laughs> I valued comfortability over style. And honestly, it's probably a good trade. <laughs> Some of us would wear sweatpants every day. We didn't care what God thought about us or about our job. <laughs> Favoritism. To look at somebody and say, you know what? You go sit over there because you don't have it all together. But you, the popular one, come over here. And we do it in college. We try, to, we try to hide it. We disguise it as something different. We, we do it in ministry. Oh, yeah. We want to position ourselves next to, to people in ministry who have power so maybe they can put us in a position of power one day. Uh, we, we do it in our career. 
and we try to network and we try to show favoritism to people, it's sin. James keeps going. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed. If you fulfilled a royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't you love when James quotes Jesus? Amen. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. And I want to tell you something. Nobody in here has kept the law perfectly. Not a single one of us. I tell you, who did fulfill the law and keep it perfectly, his name was Jesus Christ. James keeps going. He says, he says, verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. It's almost as if to say, I might show favoritism, I might gossip, I might slander, I might talk bad about people, but at least I ain't out killing them. <laughs> that's wrong. And that's sin. We always want to compare ourselves to somebody that's worse than us so we feel a little bit better about ourselves. James ends it. He says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So you're not perfect and neither is anybody else in this room. But we worship a perfect Savior. And I love this. When people come into the view, do they sense Christ-like love? Do they sense this right here? Do they sense Romans 15, 7? Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. And why? Why do we do that? So that the glory of God is shown. Welcome one another as Christ welcomes you. Not only that, but look with me again at Nehemiah chapter 8. While he was facing the square, this is verse 3, while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out from daybreak until noon before the men and women and those who could understand all the people listened attentively to the book of law. Number three, God's word is worth your time. God's word is worth your time. Understand this, six hours. When I said I had a whole lot of scripture tonight, something was cringed. <laughs> six hours. Can you imagine That's insane. I'm going to give you just a little bit of what they probably would have read that day. I'm just going to give you a little bit. I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. And this is what Jesus fulfilled. You think about this. Don't you dare zone out. You want to zone out? Zone out at me, not this. Exodus 20. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. As if there were any. <laughs> there are not. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Aren't you grateful that God is jealous? That God does not allow you to go around worshiping other idols? Let me tell you something. If my wife came to me and said, Daniel, I think we should have an open relationship, I'd be shook. <laughs> I'd be hurt. I would be absolutely hurt. I said, baby, what? You want to have a what? I want to have an open relationship. I, I, I don't care if you talk to other girls. It's fine, you know. I, you know what I would ask her? I'd say, baby, do you not love me anymore? <laughs> what happened? Is this because of the sugar cookies? <laughs> 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 I tell you, they added up. I'm like, what do you mean? 
And I'll tell you what, aren't you glad that God loves you so much he doesn't let you walk out there and worship this microphone stand because it ain't going to get you anywhere anyway? But in the Old Testament, they would build idols, statues, and act like they were living, but they were dead and couldn't move at all. The idols they worshiped were as dead as this speaker, couldn't do anything for them. But they would worship it, and the reason why is they would worship what their hands made, not, what, not God himself. We want to worship what our hands made. So I'm grateful that God does not let me go around worshiping other idols, splitting my time, Sam, with other false gods that ain't going to get me nowhere anyway because they ain't real. I'm grateful. Not only that, God keeps going. He says, just for clarity, Hannah did not say that to me. <laughs> so I'll make sure everybody knows. Don't leave out of here like, man, that pastor's got a wild marriage. <laughs> He's got to cut those sugar cookies back too. <laughs> Better watch out. Some of you will be there one day. Verse, <laughs> verse, six, verse 6 of chapter 20. But showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Number 7, we talked about this. Verse 7, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Is that verse not terrifying? Does that verse not terrify you? I read this. It's, like, it's hard to read the law, not because... It's like, man, I got to do this. But when I read the law and realize that Jesus Christ came down to this earth and completely fulfilled this because I couldn't, that shakes me to my core. Does that shake you? But we throw his name around casually. Remember, we said this a year ago. Don't make reference to God's name if you don't have reverence for God's name. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Isn't it crazy that God loves us so much he would make a day for us to rest? <laughs> That's a loving God. That's a loving creator. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and declared it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not make, commit adultery. Remember Jesus' words in the New Testament. If you look with someone with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. It's always about the heart. It has always been about the heart. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's just 17 verses of one chapter. They read and listened to the entire law of Moses. You know why? Because God's word was worth their time. They counted the cost and God's word began to be worth their time. Six hours of listening to God's word. Michelle, when I say that, we can't even fathom listening to God's word for six straight hours. We can't even comprehend it. Let me tell you something, though. I have known college students, and I love Marvel as much as anybody. I have known college students who put Avengers Infinity War... <laughs> And Avengers Endgame together and watch in one day. That sounds like an amazing journey, doesn't it? Watch, the, watch both movies back to back. You know that's six hours. You know that's six hours. So I know college students who will make time to watch both Avengers movies back to back but would laugh and scoff at the idea of listening to God's word for six hours. It's because our culture is driven by entertainment. I'd rather be entertained for six hours than worship and learn from God for six hours. I'm in the same boat with you. But they heard it for six hours, and their hearts started to be pierced. It was worth their time. They made time for God's word. I want to tell you, show me your schedule. I'll show you your values. 
You show me your schedule. If I show you my schedule and show you my calendar, you can see exactly what I value because you prioritize whatever you value. You will make time for that which you value. I talk to college students all the time who say, man, I didn't read or hear journal this week because I didn't have time. No offense, but if you don't think you have time, you need to check your screen time. I'm just being real. Six hours they listen to the world. We look at our screen time. God bless you. It's five, six, seven, eight, nine hours on our phone, and not a lot of that is going to the Bible app. <laughs> maybe. I don't know your story. You do. Maybe uh, you come up to me afterwards like, Daniel, look at this. Eight hours on the Bible app. <laughs> oh, yeah. I covered the whole Torah today. <laughs> First five books, baby. First five books. Maybe. I don't know. But we say we don't have time. But then I meet college students who make time for their boyfriend and girlfriend, life or death. <laughs> Make time to make that money. Make time to make those grades. But we can't wake up in the morning and get into this and hear a journal from it and memorize it because we don't truly value it. When this becomes your, worth your time, God will change your life. And I'm talking to believers, lost souls in the room. When you make time for this, God will change your life. Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. You never know when it is your last day. Go out reading God's word. Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And then Jesus comes back in the New Testament. He says, Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Some of us are so concerned with securing the bag. Some of us are so concerned with making the bread. Some of us are so concerned with making money. But we're not making time to be fed for our souls from the word of God. And then this is a great verse for our ministry. 1 Peter 2.2. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Let me ask you a hard question, college students. Are you growing up? And I don't mean independently as an adult. I mean, are you growing up dependently on God? Culture tells you that growing up is all about being an independent. Well, growing up in the word is you being dependent. Some of us, we can't get the whole milk because we're not letting God grow us up. It's time to grow up. Not only that, but number four, God's word will get your attention. I love this, man, because it says when they read the word, <coughs> they listened attentively to the book of law. God's word will get your attention. Acts 2, verse 37 says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. This is after Peter's sermon. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? I'm going to give you three subpoints as to why God's word doesn't have our attention. What distracts us from giving God our attention? A is people. One of the biggest reasons why college students do not Give their attention to God's word as people. Galatians 1.9 says, As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. And then it goes on to say, Paul says, For now, am I seeking to try to persuade people or God? Am I trying to please people? If I'm trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. To be honest with you, some of us can't make time for God's word because we're chasing the approval of people so desperately people. People are more of a priority than God's word. And so what ends up happening for us is we idolize people over God's word. Not only that, but B is our problems. <laughs> Every single one of us in here got problems. 
We got work problems. We got family problems. We got school problems. We got relationship problems. We got car problems. Amen. <laughs> That's one of the worst problems to have is car problems when your car breaks down. And I'm telling you, it'll be on the worst day. Your car will always break down on the worst day. <laughs> and, that, and it's raining, hailstorm outside, <laughs> tornado in the vicinity, car breakdown, <laughs> broken axle. <laughs> $2,000 you got to spend on your car. Problems. And what we do as college is we worry. We worry and we stress as much as we can trying to outlast our problems, trying to worry our problems away. I love this right here. Jesus said it. Matthew 6, verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord tonight? Why are you worrying so much about tomorrow, college students? All the people of Israel could think about in this moment was the word of God that was coming to them, Jordan. They were not concerned with tomorrow. Some of you have been in this service tonight and have thought extensively about the school that you have due tomorrow. Some of you have been thinking so much about your problems this week. You can't get your mind off of it. In your mind, your problem is far bigger than God himself. So you're going to continue to worry over your problem until you realize that God is far bigger than your problem. And you can give it to God and you can trust it with God. Not only that, though, I'll tell you the other thing that distracts us. C is promotion. Woo, God bless you. Promotion. I'll tell you what, man, this is a dangerous thing. All people have gathered together in this moment. They are hearing the word. They are not focused on self-promotion. They are not focused on who is reading the law. They're not focused on who is on stage. They're not focused on who is leading worship. Some of us in here so desperately want to get up on this view stage like that means something, like you've made it. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what stage you get on in life. If your heart is not right before the Lord, you will find yourself in disobedience. Promotion. We're so busy trying to promote ourselves, we can't give our time to God. We can't let God promote himself in our life because we're so busy promoting ourselves on social media. It's a culture we live in. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Watch me. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I'm doing. We miss God's word. I'll tell you this right here. Luke 14, verse 11. One of the most chilling verses you can read. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, I love that because the next pastor of The View may be here tonight. In 2016, when I sat in that chair, I never imagined that I could be the pastor, and I never wanted to be. I never wanted to be on the stage. I never wanted to preach. I never wanted anybody to see me. I wanted to sneak in our old building and sneak out. I never wanted that. And I had no idea that one day God would call me to be the pastor. Let me tell you something. The next pastor of the view may be in this building, and it would not be anybody that we assume or expect it to be because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I don't care how quiet you are. I don't care how shy you are. I don't care how, how fearful you are. God will take people like you and use you in ways you can never imagine. God will show you for the next entire life that you live why you have no reason to fear. And he'll give you 365 verses as to why not. So for anybody in this room who feels insecure or that God can't use them, that's a lie. I was there five years ago. That's crazy. Don't worry about promoting yourself. Promote God. Promote the name of Jesus. And you'll be just fine. Number five, God's word is worth teaching. <clears throat> I consider it a great value and a great honor to come up here and to teach God's word to you, to preach and proclaim God's truth. And what we see right here is in verse four, the scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this very purpose. 
And then verse 5. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone else. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Now remember, Ezra has been preaching. I know we've been studying Nehemiah here. But Ezra has been preaching for 14 years, creating an environment where God's word could produce something in his people. Remember, the Bible is like a cookbook. Nobody just reads a cookbook without the intent to produce something from that cookbook. God's word exists because God wants to produce something in you. That's repentance. And then he also wants to produce something through you. That's good works. You will never find somebody just reading a cookbook to read a cookbook. And sometimes we just read God's word to read God's word. No, he is trying to produce something in you that will then go and produce it to other people. You might not be called to pastor. You might not be called to preach. But everybody in here is called to teach in some capacity. You say, Daniel, I disagree with that. I'll show you this. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus came near, this is the Great Commission, and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does it say next? Teaching. Oh, man. Some of you sitting out there and like, Daniel, I'm not supposed to teach God's word. Not many of you should become teachers. And I agree, it's a call to a strict judgment. But I want to tell you, you might just be called to teach one-on-one. That's teaching the word. You might not ever preach, but you are called to teach God's word. It might be a one-on-one capacity. The very first place I started teaching was one-on-one. It was not on a stage. It was not at a life group. Some of us think we earned it. Some of us think we deserve it. I started teaching one-on-one. Have you taught anybody in your life what God is teaching you through God's word? And I'll just be real with you, man. This may hurt. Is God teaching you anything in your quiet time that you can't go teach anybody? Let's be real. Is God teaching you anything through his word right now? Because if you're reading it, he's teaching you. If you're not reading it, he's not teaching you through it. Some of us can't teach God's word because we're not learning anything from God right now. Let's just be real. We're all in the same boat. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. But if you're not in God's word and he's not teaching you, you can't go out there and fulfill the Great Commission. And if you're, no matter whether you're, what, 10 years old or 80 years old, if you know Jesus Christ, you are called to make disciples and teach them God's word. You are. That's the great joy that we have, is that when we repent of our sin, just as David did in Psalm 51, he then tells God, I'll go and teach transgressors your ways, that when God saves us, we go and we teach others. So who have you taught God's word to in the last two months? Who? Because when I was a believer after eight months, after a year, I had to sit down and ask myself some hard questions. I said, if God's really teaching me, why am I not going out and teaching people one-on-one? Here's where you start. You wake up in the morning. You make it a priority. You let God teach you. And then you go out and you find one person. Maybe it's a teammate on your University of Memphis football team. Maybe it's somebody in your class. Maybe it's a family member. And here's what you do. You share with them what God has taught you. Man, I just want to tell you, Mom. I was reading Nehemiah 8, and the people listened to God's word for six hours. And I want to tell you something, Mom. I realize that I am called to listen to God's word attentively and to give it my full attention and to make time for it. That's one thing God's teaching me right now, Mom. And after you, say, after you share that, you know what you ask next? What's God been teaching you, Mom? And all of a sudden, doors start opening in our relationships. Man, this, I, honestly, man, this is, this is one, of the famous, my, one of my favorite sermons I've ever written. One of my favorite sermons I've ever written. Because it's so real, it's so raw, and it's what you and I are called to go do today, not tomorrow. Today. Wake up in the morning. Let God teach you. 
and then go out there with the love of Christ and teach somebody else it. And what you're doing is you're doing God's will. Not the view's will, not Daniel's will, not Bellevue's will. You're going out there and you're doing God's will because it's worth it. I'll never forget one of my basketball players when I was at Bartlett High School. The only way I could teach him, because he had to, God bless you, the only way I could teach him what God was teaching me was to do it at practice. He had to leave right after practice. He'd get picked up. He'd have to leave. He didn't get there early. His mom would drop him off. The only way, Seth, that I could teach him God's word was to teach it in the middle of practice. So every single time he'd come over to the sidelines, I was teaching him God's word. He didn't realize it, but I knew. (laughs) I was teaching him Romans 6, 23. And what that verse means, I'll never forget in the middle of practice when he talked to me, he said, Coach, can we go outside? I was like, why? He was like, this stuff that you've been talking about with Romans 6.23, I need to give my life to Jesus right now. (laughs) And we walked out in the parking lot for the first time. I think that's the first or second person I ever led to the Lord. We stopped. He he left practice, went outside, prayed to receive Christ, went right back in, kept practicing. Shot three air balls. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, the Lord will save you, but he doesn't promise that you're going to make every basketball shot. And then I told him that. He's like, man, I thought it was going to help me. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) You go and you teach them exactly what God has been teaching you. I'm telling you, you can. Stop buying the lie from the enemy that you can't go teach others what God is teaching you. Pray. Be filled up with the Spirit. I don't care how quiet you are or how shy you are. Pray. Be filled up with the Spirit. Do your work. And then go teach others what God is teaching you. I'm telling you, it is incredible. In fact, it's biblical. Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I love that he says right here, when the word of Christ is really dwelling within you, you will go and teach others in wisdom and admonishing them. Teach them. Not only that, but look with me at Nehemiah chapter 8 right here. Ezra, it says in uh, verse 6. Now, this is a crazy one right here. Verse 6 is wild right here. It says this. It says, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In fact, go back to verse 5. Let me give you one more. After it says, Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. You know why they stood up without being asked? I don't do that today. I struggle. You know why they did it? Because they have a deep reverence and respect for God's word. They stood up without having to be asked because it was God's word. That's where that comes from. So number, number six, God's word demands reverence. God's word demands reverence. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Who sings that song? I don't even know who that is, honestly. I don't, I don't know who that is. I really don't. I don't know much about that at all. I want to tell you this. I think this one will be on the screen. Your respect for God's word is shown by how you respond to God's word. Your respect for God's word is shown by how you respond to God's word. Do you read it and then do something with what you've read? The people here, they stand up out of reference. How does what you read in the morning change how you live your day? When you open up God's word in the morning, Lord, and you read from him and he speaks to you, does it change the course of your day? Does it call you to action? Real love is put into action. Action. But many people in our world do not respect the Bible. Remember, we said at the beginning, it does not just contain truth. It is truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And then 2 Peter 1, verse 20 to 21 says, Above all, you know this, 
No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The seventh thing that we see in this is number seven. God's word should always lead you to worship. God's word should always lead you to worship. What we just read is it said that they said, amen, amen, and they knelt low and worshiped the Lord their God. (coughs) When you hear God's word, does it lead you to worship him? Worship is not just with a band. Worship is not just when the lights are low. It's hard, to, it's hard to remember, isn't it? Sometimes we categorize worship as, hey, the light's got to be down low. There's got to be a full band. Jeff Maxwell's got to have a fresh jacket on. <laughs> Wish he comes with nice jackets. Worship is not about this platform. It's about your heart bowing to God in reverence. When you read this, does it lead you to worship? Can I ask you, do you, do you worship in your car? It's one of the best places to worship. Some of you do. Do you ever worship in your prayer closet? Do you ever worship in between shifts? Do you ever worship in between classes? Do you ever worship in the UC? Do you ever worship at the bank? Do you ever worship in a place that's not just church? Worship. The word wants to lead us to worship. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Brother Steve shared a story one time of a man from Africa. And I've never forgotten the story. I think he only told it on a Saturday night. There was a, in Africa, there was an offering box that was going around where people could give their money and they could give their offering and they could give what they were offering up to God. And so some people threw in some, some money and some change and stuff like that and they put it in the offering box. And it came to this man who was poor, who didn't have any money. And some of you know the story. Didn't have any money. Didn't have anything to throw in. And he didn't know what to do. He was shook. College students are broke, man. I know a lot of y'all don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of money, so praise God. (laughs) Didn't have money. Offering box comes to him. What he does is he sets it on the ground, puts one foot in, and then puts the other foot in. And he just stands there in the offering box. And what he was doing in this moment was showing everybody that he understood exactly what this was all about anyway. He was offering up his entire my soul, body, and heart to God in offering. That's worship. Not throwing $20 in a box. That's important to tie to the church. That's not tonight's sermon. Worship is not just putting your hands up in the church. You can do that. That's amazing. I do. I will in a few moments here when we worship again. Worship is you offering your entire existence, your entire being up to God and say, God, hey, my yes is on the table, so you do with it whatever you will because you're going to do with it far better than I will anyway. Have you stepped in the box? Have you said, God, your word has led me to worship. I'm all here. I'm all here. Colossians 3, verse 14 to 17. Above all, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called, rule your hearts and be thankful. And then the last thing, number eight, God's word is for today, so please don't delay. (coughs) Excuse me. God's word is for today, please don't delay. In verse eight, 
of chapter 8. Let's finish this up right here. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Do you know why they were crying? Do you know why they were crying? Here's why. They realized that because of their refusal to hear God's word and obey it, they had lost out on progress for 150 years. They are weeping and crying. The word has broken them because they realize how much blessings and opportunities from God they missed because of their disobedience to his word. Let me tell you something. Don't wait till you're 40 to start obeying God's word. Don't wait till you have kids to start living this out. Obey it today. You never know what tomorrow will hold. Why would you miss blessings from God by putting this off? It's the most important thing you have. Hear the silence in the room right now? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to a whole lot of people in here as to what they need to do with God's word tonight and this week. James 1.12. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, here's a blessing, it says, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I want to ask you tonight, you are not promised tomorrow and neither am I and and I'm not scaring you into anything. I'm just telling you the reality of it. I'm not going to scare you. It's not all emotional. Emotions are important. I'm not going to scare you. But do you know where you're going tomorrow? When you die, do you know where you will spend eternity? Because I've never forgotten what it was like to be lost. And when I was 21 years old and didn't know Jesus, it was scary that I didn't know why I was here. And it was scary that I didn't know where I was going tomorrow. But Jesus Christ loves you. And he wants a relationship with you tonight. Let's all stand up. And what I want to do is I'm going to end by reading one final chapter. Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rests. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Focus in here. Don't miss this. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down, God bless you, and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Some of you in here tonight don't realize that you have been made in the image of God and that you are loved, you are cared for, and God has a purpose for your life. Some of you are realizing this in your heart for the first time, that you have been made in the image of a holy God. And he has a calling for your life. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. 
What do you have to fear tomorrow if God has already gone before you to tomorrow? God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. Who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. So search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way.